Our Bible app is the number one media hub for progressive Christians. Today, and for the rest of the weekend, you can find Our Bible app at the Queer Christian Fellowship Conference. Keep up to date with us by following us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Our Bible app. I, Crystal Cheatham, will be presenting a workshop on theologizing our personal experiences and recording a live podcast with Carla Sofia Vargas, on, who is an out lesbian Nicaraguan applying for asylum in Argentina. And don't forget to stay for Sunday's church service because our very own social media manager, Ricky Cintron, will be preaching. So exciting. Hopefully, we'll see you there. You are listening to Lord Have Mercy, a podcast about God, sex, and the Bible. I'm your host, Crystal Cheatham, and today we sit down with the great, the wonderful, the oh-so-wise Mickey Scott Bay Jones. Mickey is a justice doula, a writer, a speaker, a social justice advocate, and probably the best mom that you have ever seen juggle all of these things at the same time. Recently named one of the Black Christian leaders changing the world in the Huffington Post, Mickey encourages others to join her in moments of holy disruption and self-care in community. And now, Mickey. Right off the bat, I want to say that when I looked through your bio, I was immediately just um, so inspired by all of the things that you are doing and creating and um, you're putting yourself in these spaces where you're putting, you're putting out so much love that I feel Mm. like you're putting out so much healing into this world, you Mm. know, like you are doing the thing and I'm like, Mm. so just like, like mentally and physically excited about Mm. like, like this path that you've decided to take with your life. (laughs) Who are you? Thank you. Yeah, man. Um, That's so great. I just, so just to start, like, the first thing uh, you say in your bio and the first thing that's on your website and the first thing that people really come to know about you is that you're a justice doula. What is a justice doula? (laughs) So for many years, I was a birth and postpartum doula. So um, for those who don't know what that is, I was a birth coach, um, essentially. A doula is the, the, it's the Greek word for servant. Um, and the, but the modern term really kind of cropped up in the 80s. And the original study done on doulas was really women sitting in the room with a birthing woman and just accompanying her by saying, I see you. I'm here for you. I'm not going to leave. And I'm a witness to what you're going through. And even with just that, there were measurable impacts on birth outcomes, women having shorter, um, easier births, healthier babies, less intervention. And that was without touching the woman at all. Mm -hmm. And so now usually what it means to be a doula is much more involved than that. Um, Doulas do bring informational, physical, emotional, spiritual relational support to the birthing person and their family. And so 
I was, I did that work for over a decade, was a doula trainer, speaker, um, particularly did work around stress and burnout from other baby professionals and wrote a book on that in that field. And um, when I got out of that work for a multitude of reasons, um, I, it took me a while, but I realized that everything I'd learned as a doula um, was applicable to our justice work, that we need help birthing more love, justice, and shalom into the world. And so it's the same, the very same things I did as a doula for people birthing a baby. Um, that's what I do now as someone working in the kind of faith-rooted justice field. Um, and so I give informational, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational support to people. Yeah. Um, and that can take a lot of different um you know, paths, um, just like sometimes I would be teaching about a topic, right? Like this is what to expect during birth. This is, you know, these are your options for blah, blah, blah. Um, or would be offering that physical support of a back massage or walking with someone, um, the emotional support of, you know, let's talk about how you're feeling about these things. And I do the same thing as, as a justice doula. I say, you know, Here's here's information you could use, whether that's a workshop or a talk. Um, you know, here are practices that can help you um, build resilience or or do some healing, right? And so, it's the same kind of thing. How how do you not become overwhelmed with um, all of the? Because I, it sounds like the kind of faith faith healing that you're doing involves a lot of empathy involves a lot of discernment involves a lot of of giving of yourself and taking on other people's their neediness their anger you know all of that stuff like how do you keep yourself balanced while doing that um well I do become overwhelmed yeah okay <laughs> that's real so that totally happens um you know for me I like the concept of harmony even more than balance because mm -hmm. um, I think that Harmony contains highs and lows. I mean, I'm not a like musician, but what I do know about harmony is that, you know, it's not always the same. And for me, balance um, sort of indicates that things are always going to be the same. Like you're going to work as many hours as you play. And that's just not true, right? Even as a mom, yeah. I know sometimes you have to pay more attention to one kid than the other because one kid's sick or one kid is failing a class or whatever. And so harmony is more about like bringing things um, together and, and understanding the highs and lows and realizing sometimes this, you know, one thing is going to be what is um, the loudest and then something else is going to be more quiet. And um, so I try to take that approach. Like there are times that are going to be more emotionally intense and I have to work through that. And there, there are times that are going to be more blissed out and relaxed and yeah. you just kind of have to go with that. Mm. All I know is that your um, your schedule seems to be very full, you know. <laughs> and I yes. don't, I don't, I don't think that I could, I could manage all of that. So you definitely have a gift um, to be able to just continually give of yourself and travel and and raise children and you know relationships. I don't even know how you do it. You're a super, you're superhuman. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, for real, the thing is that I have, I have to learn and continually learn how to oh. do this work um, as a part of, 
actually showing other people how to do the work. Like it, part of Mm -hmm. what I do is figuring it out for me so that I can be an example and then also encourage other people that is possible. And I don't do it well all the time. And what I, um, what I have to work on because we all have different, you know, kind of natural bents and things like that. What I have to work on is actually the rest and the play because that's not my um, mm-hmm. normal stance. Yeah. Um, my kind of natural being, um, I, I'm a fan of the Enneagram, so that's the language I use, but there's mm-hmm. lots of language to use around this. But, you know, I, I tend to think I have to um, – kind of earn my place. Right. Mm. And so I work, I want to work constantly like that's, I want to, and I'm constantly driven to do the right thing, Mm. um, to, to, to bring more good into the world. And so sometimes I have to remind myself, I mean, almost constantly have to remind myself that doing the good or right thing sometimes is actually just rest or enjoying the person I'm with or doing quote unquote, nothing, Mm. um, you know, (laughs) doing things just for the sake of joy, Um, you know, but, and then again, part of that is unraveling some of that bad theology that I got growing up too, right? Like that, that pleasure and, you know, I mean, this is why I'm so in love with, with the play and the movie and the book called the color purple, right? Mm. Because that, that wonder about the color purple, like, like, where does it come from? Why do we need the color purple? Like that is a gift from God only to be a gift. It's not because the color purple is functional, Mm. Right. So those kinds of things are that constant um, work that I have to do to to believe that I have a right to exist in the world, even if I'm not producing something. And so I constantly struggle with it, which is why I think I have to do this work, because Mm -hmm. it's my personal constant struggle. So, you know, it's it's that I um, I constantly heap too much on my plate. Mm hmm try to eat it all and realize I can't <laughs> go scrape that plate off into the garbage oh. and start over. <laughs> and, you know, and so, um, I'm, but I'm really learning to add more, um, more of the right notes to the harmony when I, when I feel like it's starting to get off. And I think that's like the spirit of the new year, the spirit of, um, the, you know, all of that, like, New Year stuff that people bring up that's like, you are supposed to lose that 20 pounds that you gained <laughs> in 2018, and you're supposed to put money in the swear jar whenever you do that thing. And it's just like, it's like, it, it kind of misses the mark on what the New Year is supposed to be. The New Year is supposed to be a place where you do have that reflection and you do um, think about life as like you have a new starting point yes but also how can you treat yourself better um Mm -hmm. uh, the last episode of lord have mercy uh lindsay medford was on and she did a devotional for the app all about burnout and giving Mm -hmm. yourself rest and how you can find freedom in that and um the thing that i connected with the most was this idea of sabbath and how the bible talks a lot about sabbath and sabbath day and Yes, it was a a cultural thing uh, for Jews uh, back in the day and still is today. But this idea of Sabbath still, still is so meaningful and necessary for us to take care of our bodies and to take care of our spirits. This time where we kind of unplug and pull away. And um, I just found it so 
fascinating. Um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you about this word shalom that you use. Um, You put justice or you allow for justice and shalom to come into the world. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, So my concept of shalom has largely been influenced by um, one of my professors and mentors, Dr. Randy Woodley. And, um, I first was, was, um, introduced to him through, um, my program at, um, George Fox, now Portland Seminary, um, and also Nate's. So he was really involved in Nate's for a while. He's actually, um, teaching less and less. So if you get to hear him, it's a real treat. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, North American Institute for Indigenous Theological Studies. So I was mostly trained by indigenous folks from the U S and Canada and, and several of them have done work on Shalom, but Randy actually did a whole book on the concept of Shalom. And what he says is it's, it's similar that, that Jewish understanding of Shalom is very similar to the indigenous understanding of the harmony way, Mm -hmm. or when we talk about walking along the good way. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's not necessarily perfection. It's not that the, that we would live in a world where nothing bad ever happened or there was never a conflict, um, but that we would um, have ways of repair um, that there would, you know, kind of like when we talk about restorative justice, right, that there would be ways of repair between people, between humans and animals, between us and the earth, Um that there is a a way of mutual um, respect and love and coexistence. And it's a, it's deeper than just peace, right? It's, it's a peace that includes justice, that includes mutuality. Um, It can't be a peace where one of us is, is getting what they need and the other person isn't, or one group is getting what they need and the other isn't. It's a, it's a peace that requires um, and equity among beings and a deep connection to the earth. And so that's what I think of as that really robust understanding of the word shalom. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> In what ways are you putting shalom into the world? I mean, I guess the, a case can be made for the, all of the greater things that you do, but how do you do that on a daily basis? Yeah. I mean, I do think it's both individual and collective. Um, I mean, we, we can all like make choices that lead us to Shalom. Like for me, I think the breaking of Shalom is what sin is, right? So either what you're doing is possibly bringing more Shalom into the world or it's breaking Shalom. So that, so it becomes an ethic for me, essentially, right? So, um, and it's not that I choose every time, like one could argue when I'm eating animals, which I haven't done yet today, but I might later, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that that is a breaking of shalom between me and that animal. Um, So, you know, that's a choice that I make um, and, you know, have to weigh and, you know, 
I often think about this when thinking about a sexual ethic, right? Does that bring more, does it bring shalom between me and that person? Yeah. Or is it shalom breaking? Like, am I, so am I, am I interacting with them in a way that's ethical, that's equitable, that's kind and loving, respectful, um, that sees them as another, um, being made in God's image, um, because I think that brings more shalom into the world. And if we're, if we're essentially applying that to everything we're doing, that would, that would be collective as well, right? So if we are applying that to our governmental policies or whatever, yeah, that would also bring more Oof. shalom into the world, right? Shalom means everybody gets to eat. Yeah. Shalom means everyone has a place to, to live. That's only radical because we are so not there. It's right. radical because we are so far away yeah. from that and everything. I mean, like uh, just corporations, um, the inability for nonprofits to survive if they aren't working as a, as a corporation. I mean, all of these things, uh, uh, steal from that sense of community that you're talking about that, like <clears throat> respecting the God that's in the person next to you and wanting to lift it up the way you lift up your own. It's really hard to find places where you can, where you can be that free and let go. Yeah. Um, is that the but kind of, mm-hmm. Well, I was just going to say it's not, but it's not new, right? Not like new. if the, there's basically a constant refrain in the old Testament, that's like, Hey, my people, I love you. <laughs> Can like get some Shalom going like this. Yeah. It's all just God being like, Hey, could you just make sure everybody's got food? Yeah. Everybody's got somewhere to lay down that you're treating each other with respect. Like, yeah. And that's the thing that, you know, if we're going to talk about an angry God, that God would get angry over. Like, Mm -hmm. I have told you a million times to be nice to the foreigners who come to your land. Mm -hmm. What is this going to take? Like, like that. Oh, yeah. That was the problem. And it's not. But we have reduced even things in the Old Testament to this um, individualistic way of understanding it. And it was like, "Mm, no, the whole problem is that y'all weren't being nice. (laughs) Like you're not providing for everybody that everybody doesn't have a place to eat. Fast yeah. forward to the New Testament, same damn thing. You know, like the early church is is forgetting that they actually that the whole point of the table is to come together and make sure everybody can eat. Same thing. Yeah. What what we want to do is is like take the the joy and giving out of it and turn it into a rule based system where mm-hmm. it's not about just this, uh, this free form, uh, creating space for the community, but it's like, it becomes really legalistic. It becomes really drawn and quartered into dogma and, and, and rules that we have to obey in order to achieve God's love. And I feel like that is so much what, um, Christianity has become today that, you know, those of us who identify as progressive or just identify as spiritual, we can't seem to find footing or a home, you know, in some of yeah. these like re- overly or just even just religious spaces. Um, I know that it, I, I'm still having a hard time finding a church home in Philadelphia and maybe I won't find one. Um, but the point is to not, I guess for me, is to not focus on just looking at um, churches as places where I can find that kind of church community. Um, yeah. 
Mickey, what is your spiritual or religious background? <laughs> um, well, I'm a unicorn. That's great. Um, and I mean that in the like actual traditional right, sure. sense yeah. of mm-hmm. like a unicorn was like an animal that was pieced together from all these other animals. That's how it became yes. this myth- mystical, okay. mythical creature. Um, and so I, as a little girl, went to church with my family. And then when my parents divorced with my mother, who I always say picks the shortest and quietest black church she can find. Um, (laughs) So, you know, my mother was not into the black churches you see on in movies, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't the hooping and hollering. She could put up with a small amount of that, but you know, wanted pretty proper (laughs) decor black church experiences. Listen, Mickey, my mom can't even listen to like a Kirk Franklin song (laughs) for too long. She's just like, why are they screaming? And she has to turn it. Yeah, but I get it. (laughs) So, you know, so yes, I did grow up with kind of the the music and the rhythms of the black church and that um, that was where I spent Sundays with my mother, but we weren't terribly involved. Um, And there were a series of churches. I mean, my mother will find one and be faithful, but we moved around a bit. for a while. So, and then at uh, about 13, 14, I had kind of my own conversion experience in a little white Southern Baptist church in Knoxville, Tennessee. And, um, and that really began my love affair with Jesus. I mean, there are many, many problems and many traumas related to that part of my story and, and my experience in the white evangelical church. But it was also, I mean, <laughs> I was like so on fire for Jesus. Like I was, you know, I would witness to all my friends. I would take them through like my little bracelet with the beads, wow. you know, the salvation bracelets, <laughs> Bible, like leading Bible studies, carrying mm-hmm. my Bible and my, you know, Neil Anderson books um, in, in my arms every day at school doing the, I mean, the whole thing, right? You were that chick. I was like total Jesus freak and was in two youth groups, a charismatic youth group and the Southern Baptist youth group. So I was in church, you know, three days a week, I mean, minimum. And I just loved it. Couldn't get enough of it. And so I was an evangelical conservative, very, very conservative Christian for many years. Mm -hmm. Um, And now I would say, there are still some evangelicals that'll claim me. Okay. <laughs> um, and there are some that would dis- that would say I'm completely disqualified. Okay. Um, through a series of events um, from kind of my own, I was always a researcher, right? So I was always reading the books that are on the, were on the edge. <clears throat> so you know, that started with things like Ravi Zacharias, right? Which was like, now I can look and be like, Ooh, yeah, not, mm, no, actually not that intellectual, but that was really pushing the envelope for me as a conservative evangelical, right? Like those were not accessible books, um, for most people. Like that's not what my friends were reading, but I was Mm -hmm. also reading like power of a praying wife, wife, you know, (laughs) I had both kind of, and then when I really, I don't know if it was like where the chicken and the egg is, but between Twitter and um, podcasts and, you know, I started being exposed to other ideas 
Um, and also I've always had friendships with people who would kind of challenge those things, right? I grew up with a lot of Jewish kids, went to temple, was at their house for, you know, Hanukkah and things, um, knew a couple of Muslim kids, a Unitarian kid, right? So I was always kind of playing with all of this. And, and I also, when I kind of had that conversion experience, went through a period of time of, of research before deciding to become a Christian. Like I legitimately um, considered is Judaism right? Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, is Christianity right? Like I did some research before just, you know, plopping it down with Jesus, yeah. but then did have a spiritual experience of walking down the aisle and like, I'm ready to do this thing and give my life to Jesus. So wow. So I, so I have kind of both experiences going in. So I've always been that kind of person. So then as I started to do more research out of the evangelicalism, kind of being exposed to different voices, having, and also I had always had friends who were queer. So as a, as a teenager, we didn't know what to call it. This was the nineties, like (laughs) in a small, you know, Southern town. And so we didn't have the language per se, but I always had those people in my life. Like, that's good. I always like I had a whole summer of like gay clubbing with a bunch of guys and just, you know, they loved me. I loved them. They loved me as like uber conservative Christian girl who like talked about her Jesus all the time, but would still, they would still take me out dancing and protect me. And, you know, so I always had those experiences. And so then when it began to like kind of unravel and the progressivism started to, I was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) there are other ways to understand this whole God Jesus thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then of course, seminary did me in and, (laughs) and studying the Bible with a bunch of indigenous people, right. Who have already done their work around identity and, and scripture and religion. Um, And so, and then I went through an Anglican phase um, actually, the Anglican f- phase came before seminary. Um, and so really discovered a love for liturgy, like fell in love with liturgy and church history mm-hmm. and holidays and all of those things that I had never had with an evangelical background. Yeah, that's something that I still haven't quite oh, come so to much. understand is liturgy. And I want to. It's just, and you know what? I've had so many people tell me such great and wonderful stories. I mean, with, I mean, framed within liturgy but I just haven't you know taken the time to dig in for myself but I mean listening to you and like my one of my past guests Jacob Brees talk about liturgy I'm like what is it what's going on over there yeah I mean I would I would weep and now I mean I've been taking communion for a very long time when when I was in my Anglican liturgical church I would just weep and we were taking communion every week And I would just look at each one of these people that I loved and just weep as we took communion together. So, you know, there, and there was just something about the steadiness of it. I think that's why there has been this shift for those of us who grew up in kind of the free for all evangelical church could last two hours, three hours, different (laughs) things every time, like knowing you were going to go in and confess and go in and say these prayers that have been said for thousands of years And like for me, rubbing my prayer beads and like connect, I just felt so connected with the rest of the world who I knew was worshiping in the same way, that was praying in the same way, that was reading the same scripture. 
there was just something so beautiful about Mm -hmm. that, you know, having the words, if I didn't have words, I didn't have to come up with this prayer of like, Lord, I just want you to Lord. No, no. I just get to say the prayer that's on the paper and not have to think. Mm. And it just broke me open in a new way. Mm. And so now I'm kind of like, like I don't really have a churchish home. I mean, I consider myself a member of middle collegiate, which um, is in New York city. Um, they have an amazing black female pastor, um, yeah. Reverend Jackie Lewis. Um, and she's a mentor and um, she also, you know, is an amazing pastor. And so I watch that online. Um, hmm. But That's I don't, awesome. I, I can't find anywhere to go here. Yeah. That would give me all the things that I need. Yeah. I hadn't even thought about online church. Maybe I'll check that out. That's yeah. probably a really good move. Yeah. You know, I'm not scared of technology and right. using that to find a faith community. Lord Have Mercy and our Bible app are sponsored by Barclay Press. Find the newest Barclay Press titles in our app, like Praying for Justice, a Lectionary of Christian Concerns by R. Anderson Campbell and Steve Sherwood. Or even Shalom, The Shalom of God by Howard Macy. Or Just Moms, a book conveying justice in an unjust world by Melanie Springer Mock. This collection of stories highlights 27 women who share their adventure and misadventures, modeling justice principles for their children and communities. If you would like to sponsor Lord Have Mercy or our Bible app, your message could appear in the app, in the weekly newsletter, on the website, and of course, here on Lord Have Mercy. Please reach out to me, Crystal Cheatham, at crystal at ourbibleapp.com for more information. And now, back to the show. I have a bunch of questions that I want to ask about your faith journey, but I want to skip ahead a little bit and find out more about your identity, because I know that you've talked a lot in your past about um, marriage and divorce, and you talk a lot about your kids. And as such a faithful woman, I'm wondering, um, how do you how do you identify with your sexuality and your orientation and, you know, bring all that back to, I mean, we can eventually bring that back to religion, but how do you identify? Well, um, I identify as a black woman. Um, I'm fine with the term African-American too, that I don't really care, but I prefer to use the word black because it, um, like there've been studies that show that white people are super uncomfortable with black. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) So I like to push the the issue by being like, yeah, black. But like African-American is something completely different. Like my family is African-American. My family's from Zambia and like the South. So that means something, yes. you know, like, so I totally get it. Thank you. Yes. And, and I do think it's different. Cause like I have friends who are like Jamaican American, right? Yes. They're not African American. No. Um, and so it's, so I will, it's both or it's black. Like yeah. I, you know what I'm saying? Like it has to kind of be both to make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I, but if I'm just going to put one thing down, it's black because again, I like making people uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> Um, and then sexuality wise, I mean, I, I'm cis, Mm -hmm. I'm, um, I, I mean, I get hetero. I mean, like, you know, I'm like, women are beautiful. I don't know. I've never been with a woman. I don't, that's not something that I, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) I feel like every great (laughs) female 
like black woman, like activist, writer, whatever, like at some point, like has, falls in love with a woman. So I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe it needs, maybe I it's going to happen. that you're open to it. You're just like, <laughs> you're, you're more open to falling in love with a woman than I ever could be falling in love with a man. I'm like, <laughs> nope, not, not going to happen. Mm. I mean, I just feel like maybe it's inevitable because it's just part, like ev- you study at the life of every, of every single one of them. Maybe. I don't care who it is. Audrey Let me know Lord. when it happens. <laughs> right. I'm like, so, I, you know, I mean, one of the things I love about like Alice Walker, people are always like, you never knew who was going to show up on her arm. You know, woman, man, mm-hmm. some, you just, yeah. you don't know. So I, <laughs> who <laughs> knows? Yeah. She's you know? pretty crazy. You're right. So, so I don't, you know, so I don't know. Um, but I have consistently been hetero. I was married to a man for 20 years and whatever. Um, generally pretty high femme I think like I'm it depends like I can totally just lay lay around in sweats for three days but I also am like if I'm going out there's gonna be glitter (laughs) everywhere and we will (laughs) you know like I am doing the whole thing so you know I I tend to kind of I love really it. And I really way. appreciate that you took so much time to explain all of those things because I think that um, straight straight people in general forget that they do have all of these other sides to them, yeah. that they are cis, that they are allowed to be more feminine or more masculine. Like that's not just reserved for the queer community, you know? So yeah. I really appreciate that you that you think of yourself in those terms, like not just I'm a female and I am interested in men, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. You spend a lot more time um, getting to know yourself when you're able to like internalize that. That's awesome. Yeah. And I'm trying to like, I, I'm still figuring out what it means to be a woman, like to be, yeah. because I've struggled with that. Right. Because it's been su- the, evangelicalism can do such a number Ooh. on being a woman gender and roles. like gender roles. Yes. Ooh. And being a feminine woman and what that means. Ooh. And, and honestly, like Jackie, my pastor has really helped with that because she is, she wears, you know, form fitting dresses, wears bright red, right, bright red lipstick. She cries in the pulpit. She oh. looks cute every single time. Like, and she is, she doesn't try, she doesn't feel like she has to be manly to be taken seriously. Mm. She's like, I am a curly girl and I like red lipstick and wearing oh. pumps and little, and I'm like, Oh, I can do that. Like, right? And it doesn't mean that she can't preach. Like she's suddenly not allowed to, or not heard. And it doesn't mean that she's like this, this sex symbol or she has to cover up so that men don't feel a certain way. I mean, like that is, that yes. is, that is powerful. And yeah. not in like a creepy, like over the top, like that is a beautiful kind of power to have. Um, especially if she's not, or a person is not, um, self-conscious about it like yeah. that's the kind of spirit that I would gravitate towards that I would yeah. want to listen to that's really awesome so good how does your sex inform your spirituality and your faith uh say more like my having you sex can, or my sex, I mean <laughs> sex and sexuality yeah it's, <laughs> sex is just left there like ugh. but um sex and and sexuality and the next question that I want to ask you after this one is when did you start having the kind of sex that you wanted you know so I guess leading up to that like how does your spirituality and your faith inform this 
this this this woman that is Mickey. Yeah. Whew. I mean, this is one of those things that feels dangerous to talk about in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, because of all that evangelical programming and and the theology around it. I mean, well, we got to talk about it. <laughs> I know. And I feel like so many of us who came up um during kind of the true love waits and and purity culture um yeah. phenomenon right because mm-hmm. it really was for a while a huge phenomenon just a bunch of 30 year old virgins <laughs> Woo! just like so, well and so many of us who got married i mean i got married at 19 i didn't know um, that so you know i and and like met him right so like left for college in august had a had one boyfriend had a whole situation with a guy who like whose youth pastor told him not to date me because marrying a black woman would would um damage his possibilities in ministry um <laughs> and wow. and then and then met my I'm sorry I had to think the, about that for a while that was crazy right? that was right? crazy and, yes a white guy who literally went home told his youth pastor about me and then came back and like acted like I didn't exist because he had been told you can't, you want to be a pastor, right? I don't think you, cause of course dating me, the only reason is to, for me to become his wife. So don't even date her because that will somehow impede your chances yeah. of ministry. Right. And so, <clears throat> um, interestingly years later when we were got, both got on Facebook, he, he was one of the first people to message me and apologize because he had now adopted two black little girls. All Oop. right, sir. All right. Oop. <laughs> That just needs to be dissected, but not right now. Right? So, so, so much. Like, so these were my like tiny little dating experiences and then met my husband, my ex-husband. And then, uh, by October of my, fre- my freshman year, we were engaged by December. Ooh. Right. So, Hunty, so what, <laughs> right. Where were the grownups? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that should not have been happening but I you know my mother wasn't there she didn't know what's happening I had moved away to school um any adults that were spiritual kind of advisors pastors whatever well their only goal was to keep us like was to get us all married off too right because just like free roaming teen like late teenagers early adults are just like sex waiting to happen. So, get, you know, it's better, like it's better to be married than to burn with lust. Mm-hmm. So get them married off. Right. Yeah. Um, so I find myself even today now being 41 and, and divorced, um, you know, meeting a, a, a friend and a collaborator who's married and happily so, and has never come on to me. I've never come on to him. We're not, like, it's not an issue him asking, you know, coming in town and saying, Hey, do you want to have lunch or dinner? And I'm like, uh, is it like having this mental conversation Mm. around like, is like, is this okay? Is it okay for us? And that's, I call that like a Mike Pence conversation in your head. Where it's like, should I be alone with this woman? And it's like, dude, it's not that big of a deal. (laughs) Right? Like I'm worried that he's going to get in trouble with his wife or that somebody's going to see us and they're going to be like, they were like, that's how deep this stuff goes. Even though I don't, I don't care. I don't believe any (laughs) of that stuff anymore. Like I, 
like, I'm not worried we're going to have sex on the table because we're eating lunch together. Like, I'm pretty clear that that's not going to happen on accident, you know? <laughs> it's still, oh, you know, it's still yeah. so ingrained um, that I even would have, even as a fleeting thought, like, uh, do yeah. we need to have other people there? Invite other people? Like, is this okay? Right. So just noticing even now, because I, for so long, I didn't even know those tapes were there. Right. So oh. to actually yeah. have the distance, right, to be able to observe, um, to be able to do that kind of contemplative work of observation is is a gift and is part of the healing. Yeah. And so I'm still like um, figuring out what it means to be a sexual being. I mean, I would say in, in my marriage, the, for a very long time, really the only struggle we had was around sex. Hmm. Um, because it had always been an issue. We actually started having sex before we were married. And so there was always guilt and shame Shame, around it for me. And that doesn't disappear the day you get married. Right. Um, and, but I remember being so happy to have sex after, after my wedding, because I was like, finally, <laughs> it's not a sin anymore. Ugh. I it's just so was gross. so relieved that I could have sex w- at least that one time and not feel guilty about it. So, you know, so then, so, but it, it became a struggle because of desire and all kinds of things. And, um, and so I've really been relearning, um, everything about sex and sexuality oh. since my divorce. Um, and I'm about three years out. Uh, and so it's been a lot of learning and reading and exploring <laughs> and oh. all kinds of things. Um, largely that I can't talk about publicly that I have, you know, like these little places that I can talk about it, right? Like secret online Facebook groups, um, or, you know, between friends, right? Like there's, there are these whole conversations. Like I literally had a conversation with a male pastor friend, um, who got divorced and, and wanted to talk about like whether or not sex was okay. Like outside of marriage, post-divorce. This is a man who is a pastor, didn't have any kind of theological understanding. He was asking you. He was like, hey, girl, hey. Right. (laughs) Right. Because we're all struggling. And and my girlfriends who have gotten divorced, like we're all having this conversation because we're like, so do we have to like be virgins again? Like, what is that? How does this work? That is. Yeah. Right? I can't imagine. And it's not like. like, I, I know that I, like, I have a lot of, I'm thinking a lot and like, you know, I, I'm laughing a lot, but like, I don't even think I have the answer either, but it sounds like we have completely skipped over this, this, this space that, that God allows us to be happy in our sexuality. Yeah. You know, it's like, we're not allowed to be proud or excited or explore. We just have to keep it confined until we hop from lily pad to lily pad, which is partner to partner. It's like that, is that, is that the way that God intended it? Is that what it is? Um, because, you know, spirituality and sexuality go hand in hand. You know, yeah. I feel that, that my sexual orientation really does inform the way that I believe and Absolutely. the way that I put that belief into the world and that healing into the world, you know? Yeah. Um, so I can't, I can't imagine having to, to stifle it, to kind of just like put my arm around it 
and put it in a yeah. give it a noogie you know like <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i am um much more interested in the sacredness of of sexuality as part of who we are and part of what we're wired for um and and i you know i i feel like i can't tell other people their experience right there are yeah. definitely people who feel um all along different spectrums right like feel asexual or feel um like they can't connect with somebody unless they have uh, intellectual connection and different things and and all i feel like all of that is valid and that like pleasure is a good thing like that god actually god has pleasure and and wants us to have pleasure yeah. uh and that um that there must be a sexual ethic that's outside of yes. a government sanctioned marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, because for the most part, even Christians aren't arguing for like, they're arguing for, for government sanctioned marriage, which is to me always been a weird thing. Not always, but now I can see that it's kind of weird. Like why should we care whether or not the government thinks we're married? You know, like if we're going to yeah. do it, it needs to, I guess, be the spiritual thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe there are just always two kinds of marriage, right? And it's not like we have our government marriage and we have our spiritual marriage. Um, but that, that I, I don't think that God is like that concerned with who we're sleeping with. Like, I, I, I just don't, there's, I think there, the concern is about how we treat each other as humans um, whether we're breaking Shalom or, or creating more of it. Mm-hmm. And so, and there are people doing some work around sexual ethic. I mean, um, uh, what's her face? Nadia Bowles Weber has a new book coming out about sexuality. <laughs> I think it's out, isn't it? <laughs> Is it out? I haven't read it yet. So Neither have I. I was um, just listening. There was a thing about her melting chastity rings to make a giant yes. like, vagina. <laughs> so excited. I never had yeah. a ring, so I'm like, I can't mail you my ring. Adventists weren't um, allowed to have rings, so there you go. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. Um, and I, you know, uh, uh, Linda K. Klein's book, uh, called pure all about the the mm-hmm. purity movement she's a little tiny bit older than me and so she went through kind of the like the full brunt of the movement and talks yeah. about that and did 10 years of research um you know and and then what i again what i'm seeing among my friends and people i know is a lot of folks who got married 18 19 20 because they were trying to do it the right way hold it you know holding out for marriage and and because the prize is getting married, getting married early, whose marriages lasted 10, 15, 20, 25 years are falling apart or being renegotiated, right? Like some oh. people are able to do the re- renegotiation. Kathy Escobar talks about this some. Oh. She doesn't really talk about it in Faith Shift, her book, some. But when she talks about it publicly, we'll talk about how her husband was able to make the shift when she had a theological shift. Um oh. But I mean, that was part of our problem is that there were some theological shifts that we weren't able to make together. <clears throat> and so, you know, so some people are having that problem, right? And sometimes it's uh, it also includes a sexuality question as people are like, oh, I've only had sex with one person. Yeah. And, that's, and, and then that they become awakened to that that's a problem. Or maybe it's 
not a problem. That's fine. You can have sex with one person for your whole life. But, you know, not only are you only having sex with one person, but like pure part of purity culture is like, you cannot think about another person. Like, Which you is can't so unnatural. Another person, you know, like yeah. nothing. And so we're all sitting around like super stifled. Right. And so then people try and open their marriages and that can be messy. And some people do well with it. And some people it's like horrible, horrible mess. Yeah. And so people are just, you know, a lot of, those kind of purity culture Christians are, are toying around with monogamy and, and other forms of relationships, right? Because we're like, we tried it and it didn't work. There's got to be another way to do this. And so there's just a lot of question right now, but also because it's so taboo to talk about, right? Like you, you can, you can talk about certain things at this point, but if you start really messing with kind of relationship structure, right? So anything outside of kind of strict monogamy in all form, in all ways, Yeah, people act like you're crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, in some circles still talking about queerness in different ways is crazy, right? So people don't know how to even have the conversations and still be able to even stay in their faith communities. Yeah. So I, we got to figure this out though, because people are desperate. People are getting divorced. And then it's like, you have to pretend you're not having sex with people while you're like, in between marriages, if you even want to get married again, like, yeah, you know, no. people who are single for a very long time. Like I have these beautiful, amazing, mostly black female friends who have been, who are single still and have been in their thirties and forties because what they've been waiting and waiting and waiting for that one person trying to do things right. And they're single and childless and sad at 35. That has, and the church has no answers for them. This has, that is just so much pressure, isn't it? <laughs> the church doesn't have any answers for them. It's really, it's devastating. So we have been handed and we are living through and we're trying to make sense of this like crazy purity culture bullshit. Um, and my question is what, what comes, how do we, what comes next? I mean, maybe it's mm. just rhetorical, but what comes next? How do we figure our way out of it? Um, yeah. Okay. One more question and then, and then we'll be done. Um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Okay. I wanted to ask you about the Bible, but I'm wondering if that's just going to be like a really long question thing to answer, <laughs> but maybe we'll do it anyway. I don't know how much time you have. Sure. I got, I got plenty of time. Okay. Um, how do you use the Bible in your daily life today? So I would say my relationship with scripture has changed. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of evangelicals are taught to worship the Bible, like the, the actual yeah. book of the evangelical Bible as they understand it. I think they are, um, it's almost seen as a, as a, like, you know, a, a fourth member of the Trinity, which I yeah. know is impossible, but it's that like, um, you An know, they idol. take very, right. They take very seriously, you know, the word was, the word was God, and blah, you know, like that whole <laughs> thing. Yeah. And, and, and now of course I've come to a different conclusion and interpretation of those words about, you know, the word being God and, and becoming flesh. And I think, um, because now I know more about the Bible and it's interesting, I actually had girl, I met this real cute black man 
found out found out later the sec upon the second meeting that he was a uh, very conservative evangelical. I mean, I had my I knew he was probably pretty conservative evangelical. Your antennas but then, were up. Yeah, but then he was like, then I uh, another a mutual friend like totally busted out that he was a Trump supporter. I was like, no, uh, right. Oh. So like. I had to do a lot of kind of wrestling because I was, you know, I have to, I have to know and live out. Like I have to learn how to be kind to my former self. And he represented that former self, right? He's, I'm like, I understand your theology because I've lived it and been, that has been my world. Right. Yeah. Um, but we started talking and I said, and actually our other two friends left the table because I was just like going, I was going in because uh, I was like, I'm not sleeping with you now. So I might as well do it for, for who cares? Um, so <laughs> I was like, no, nope, no Trump supporter dicks going in here. Um, so I can't, I mean, he's a lovely human and we're actually like still in dialogue, but you know, some of the things that I started to say, and, and, I've, and of course I'm, I've, I've replayed the conversation a million times and I'm like, uh, how, you know, and I had to roll some things back and kind of like learn to be kind and like, you know, whatever, like I'm always adjusting that. Right. Cause I, yeah. I, these are my people, right. Like in multiple ways, he's my people. And I'm like, I, you know, we gotta, we gotta, if there is a way that if there, if there's a way for me to keep channels open with a particular human, then I'm, then I'm going to do that. But, um, you know, things that I kind of take for granted now and even see as good arguments, like I could just see the look on his face when I'm like saying these things. And and I had to kind of remind myself of how they sounded to me back then. Right. Yeah. So like talking about something as simple as like the two accounts of Genesis, uh, of creation in Genesis. Right. And he's just like, yeah, but they aren't, they aren't that different, right? Like I looked up the Hebrew. They're not that. Okay, great. Done. You know, that we have a whole, like that the, even the books we have in what we call the Bible are not the only sacred books, right? Like mm-hmm. that there's an apocrypha that yeah. you've like that, that most evangelicals never get their hands on. Right. Yeah. All I knew is that the, those were kind of like the rejected books of the Bible. When, when, when I did know about the apocrypha, I just saw them as like, you know, books that weren't really good enough to get in the Bible, right? Yeah. But, but there are, I don't know, millions of Christians around the world who read the Apocrypha as sacred text. <laughs> these, these second string Bible wannabe texts. Yeah. <laughs> like, how dare I not call them sacred when yeah. my Christian brothers and sisters in Ethiopia and Egypt and all over the world, oh. and Catholics here, and like all over. So true. Love the apocryphal books. How dare I? You are revealing a quiet bias that I've had and like I haven't talked about. <laughs> Seriously, like I think the apocrypha is actually really cool, but like to... To include it in my, per- like, uh, it's great because I'm able to put it on the app, which is one thing for yeah. everyone else. But, like, in my personal study, I have been like, this, it doesn't belong in my Bible. <laughs> but, like, there really isn't any, like, you're, that's such a good point. Like, you're teaching me today. Yeah, um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I, the Apocrypha, one of the coolest things is we have a book with a dragon, literally <laughs> called Bell and the Dragon, right? I'm really pissed we had to give up the dragon book. Like... <laughs> 
There's a dragon in the we Bible? We would be, I mean, yeah, just think like, like secular, secular uh, theories about Christianity are already just like so hard to work through. <laughs> if we had a freaking dragon, come on, then nobody would believe us. I mean, it's, look, we already have like uh, talking donkeys and You're right. snakes and okay. fish that swallow people and but they that's live. All like, come totally on. That's believable. <laughs> But wait, a dragon's going to throw that off. Like, come on. You're right. So, I mean, and there is the whole, like, did dragons ever exist? Because maybe some dinosaurs could breathe fire. And, like, you know, you have the whole whole stories of knights fighting dragons. That must have come from somewhere. There must have been some kind of beast that they were fighting. So it's like, it's not, you know, if it has to be real, quote unquote, that's even saying, like, things that are in scripture have to ha- have to have been factually true. Right. And I don't, that's not how I even look at scripture anymore. Like there's mm-hmm. facts and there's truth. I think every word of scripture contains truth, yeah. whether it contains a fact, like a scientifically verifiable fact is absolutely inconsequential to me at this point, because oh, that's not what the Bible, that's not what scripture is for. Scripture isn't for science. It's right. Not. So like having that, you know, but like we were having this conversation and I just, it was just, it felt like an argument. And I was like, mm. it's a shame that between Christians, mm-hmm. right, these things, these are, these are conservative versus liberal things. And I don't think that's what they should be. Right. So it was just an exercise for me and like also realizing what makes, like what raises something in me. Mm-hmm. I'm in that body triad. I'm really very body centered when I'm paying attention to it. So when I was having this conversation, like realizing how much of it for me is still like this, it like makes my whole body hot to have this conversation. And I was like, okay, what, what's happening with inside of you, Mick? What's, what's going on? And why is this high stakes for you? You know? And, and so, you know, like just kind of, realizing that when people question my love of the scripture, like I love scripture. I love Jesus. I love the spirit. I love like, but because I now interact with scripture in a different way, I don't feel the pressure. I don't have my quiet time every morning where I just open my Bible and like pick a verse and read for a while and then write stuff down and like, or, and then feel bad if I didn't hit five, you know, quiet times in a week, like, I sometimes read the Bible for my own pleasure. I sometimes oh. listen to scripture. I'm a big fan of the, of um, praise you go, which is a Jesuit prayer podcast, um, which oh. like walks you like tells a story scripture kind of uh, like a scripture story kind of like yeah. it reads a passage and you know, you place yourself in it. And so I like, I do, I listen to that quite fr- frequently. Um, and sometimes that'll send me to the passage to read more a lot of times it's based in my work, right? Like I'm the only time I'm really reading it is to do something with it, yeah. a teaching with it. Um, but I, in some ways, scripture is even holier to me now that I understand how complex it is that you, that there is no such thing as a plain reading that we're always theologizing and interpreting um, that, it is an endless source. Like you can go back to it again and again and yeah. again, see different things and yeah. get different. And that I really, because I'm, I only really understand it in English. I, there's so much oh, that I wow. don't know and will never know. Right. And That's that so true. more, I, yeah. And the more I learn about context, um, like being in Bethlehem last year around this time, I like, I, 
now there are things that I really get that I couldn't get from not being there. And that, that even that is such a place of privilege, right? Because most of us will never go to Bethlehem or go to, you know, this, these lands where this took place, but that this, these books are all particular to those lands and those people. And that all the rest of us are just kind of like getting some other stuff out of it. Right. And so it's just like, you know, that makes me actually see the sacredness of it even more. Uh Um, Even though I know sometimes my evangelical brothers and sisters would look at me and say, you don't even care about the Bible anymore. You know, and which is just, it breaks my heart because I just, it's so deeply meaningful to me. Um, And, and even more so now that I feel like I understand it less. That's 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 the mark of a true love, isn't it? When you fall in love with something and you realize how little you know it, like twenty years later, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the romantic in me. <laughs> well, you know, Esther Perel talks about how love needs desire. Sorry, needs um, the same thing that a flame does. It needs air um, and space, right? It needs a mystery about it. Um, it when you know, like when you're when you think you know everything about somebody, they cease to be desirable and interesting to you. Um, and so you got to have that kind of, you got to be able to look at your person across the room and be like, Hmm. Oh, okay. Hmm. Okay. Why, why are they standing like that? That's, that's, I that's <laughs> what's happening, you know, right. There's something about that. And so that it's kind of like that with the scripture, right now that I'm like, huh. Okay. I, I see that passage where I didn't even see that. Oh, mm, let's dive. Let's dive into that. Right. Like yeah. that makes me want to like keep going towards it instead of just like, I know what the word of God says. It says that you should blah, blah, blah. Like Ugh, barf. Ugh. you're right. Like I, that used to bring me comfort, like feeling like I could look in the book, get the answers, get it right. Move on with my life. Mm. But <laughs> now that I'm like, I don't, like there's, this is a, 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 a source of wisdom and love and knowledge that I will never be able to 100% mine everything from that I can keep going back and just, there's going to be another depth of mystery to discover that. And I've read the whole thing. I mean, I did the whole thing with daily audio Bible. Wow. So I, but I, it, to me, it's still more of a mystery today than it's ever been in my life. Yeah. I can say that when I first um, really started uh, going to town with the Bible app, I was not as in love or enamored with the Bible as I am now. Things have definitely changed, and I hope it just continues because with every new devotional that people submit, you know, I'm seeing things from a whole new perspective. And, I mean, it's it's gotten me back to a place where... Um, where the reading the Bible is really important to my daily life. So mm-hmm. yeah, so it's cool stuff. I hope it lasts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Mickey, I think I've taken enough of your time. Um, <laughs> where, where can people find you? Sure. People can find me at Mickey Scott Bay I'm the only Mickey Scott Bay Jones that exists in the world that I know. Of, so I'm pretty <laughs> easy to find. Um, and that's no E M I C K Y. Um, Scott Bay, S-C-O-T-T-B-E-Y and Jones. Um, also faithmattersnetwork.org. Uh-huh. That's my kind of main 
home of my work. Um, and so that's the best place to find out about kind of what I'm doing. I'll have stuff about movement chaplaincy going cool. up more stuff. We have some stuff already, but, um, we will be releasing more stuff about movement chaplaincy, including a full training online. Um, so accessible to everyone starting in the fall and, um, other stuff about our resilience and, and healing work. And, um, I have a Facebook page, um, uh, again, it's super easy to find me on Mickey Scott Bay Jones dash the justice doula and, um, on Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. Twitter as, um, I am Mickey Jones at I am Mickey Jones. Um, on the, on the, on the gram, um, electric underscore lady underscore MSJ. Little, Good to know. Geno- <laughs> little Janelle Monet shout out there. So, that's what's uh-huh. up. Yeah, so that's all the all the online places. Shout out to podcasts I love, like Alter Guild, which is available in the app, and for Collared Girls by Tamika and Laura, who actually have a devotional in the app right now. You should go check it out. Um, and don't forget my friends over at Cafeteria Christian. And for you, please don't forget to check out our Bible app at ourbibleapp.com, and please subscribe. If you want to find out more about me, Crystal Cheatham, you can hit me up at crystal at ourbibleapp.com or on Twitter and Facebook and most other places at Crystal Cheatham. Okay, bye.